everyone. Uh, my name is Stuart Mazell. I am the uh, lead pastor here. It is great to see all of you here. Thank you for joining us, both uh, visitor and longtime member alike. Thank you for those of you who are joining us online and on our podcast. We're continuing in our series on values. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at the passage where Jesus says that where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. And that helps us to figure out what are our values? What is it that we are chasing after? What is it that our heart longs for? And then last week we took a look at that really Jesus is the only one who can be totally satisfying to us in all aspects of what we're desiring. He is the most valuable one. Um, Today we're going to be looking at a passage from Matthew chapter 13. Verses 44 through 46. These are actually in the middle of some parables. These are parables where Jesus tells a a little story or a little uh, nitbit about what's going on. And then he tries to get a a story out of it, a a, a point out of it. One of the things that I want to say before we get started on this, sometimes pastors press parables in ways that are not good for us. They try to make the parable say things that they don't actually say. And hopefully I'm not going to do that today. I do want you to see that these parables have a specific point. And you can talk about all kinds of other things, but there's one major point that these parables make. And I think as we read them, you'll be able to pick that up pretty soon and quickly. So this is what God has to say through the lips of Jesus in the scriptures, by the Holy Spirit, Matthew 13, verses 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Uh, Thank you that while there are times where it is difficult to understand exactly what you're saying, there are many times, like in this case, where it is actually fairly easy for us to understand the point that you want us to take away. But while it's easy to understand, we recognize that it's not always easy to put into practice. So Holy Spirit, will you work in our hearts today to give us what we need so that we will not only hear the word, but we will hear the word, believe your word, and put your word into practice so that we will reflect your truth your grace, your love in a greater way. And help all of us today to do that. For your glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one true God. For our good as the church, and then for the good of the people around us. Amen. 
I'm not a, a big flower person, um, but for those of you who are, I hope that you'll appreciate this little tidbit. Uh, this image is a saffron crocus. It's nice, pretty, pretty, pretty flowers. Purple and got the red stigmas and the little yellow part in the middle. I don't know what that's called. As I said, I don't know much about flowers. But these pretty flowers, they bloom in the fall. Supposedly, they smell like vanilla and spice. I would like to smell one to see if that's true. And apparently, the, the flower is very easy to grow. But the main interest in this flower is not that it's pretty and it's easy to grow or its smell. It's the spice that can be harvested from it. Saffron. Saffron is a spice that comes from these flowers. It comes from the, the crimson stigmas of the flower, and it is the most expensive spice in the world. How expensive is saffron? Well, let's start just by comparing some things. If you went to a, like a, a warehouse and you said, hey, I'd like to buy a pound of oregano, do you know how much that would cost? About $11, give or take. Basil, a pound of basil, $14. Parsley, sage, rosemary, and thyme, somewhere between $12 to $17 a pound. Cilantro is getting up there, for those of you who don't like soap. Uh, I mean, do like soap, sorry. Cilantro, $34 a pound. $34. It sounds like a lot, right? So what about the cost of saffron? According, now I've never bought saffron, so I don't know this for a fact, but according to money, line, money in, moneyinc.com, a pound of saffron can cost up to $5,000. $5,000 for a pound of, of pure saffron. That, that bottle there, it's about a 2.5 ounce bottle. It could be worth $780. Why is saffron so expensive? Well, it takes 150 of those flowers to make one gram of saffron. And the flowers have to be hand-picked. They can't be picked by machine. And then the stigmas have to be removed by hand. And then they have to be delicately treated and dried before it can be used as a spice. Now, if there are any of you who have saffron in your cabinet and you say, well, I didn't pay that much for it, newsflash, it might be fake. <laughs> because there are people who, that's what their business is, is to t sell you what they say is saffron, but it really isn't. To get the real, pure saffron, it's going to cost you something. When you think about a spice being $5,000 per pound, that just seems crazy. I mean, not just expensive, but exceedingly expensive. I sure hope it's good. I don't know if you could put that on a burger or not. But today we're going to talk about something that is exceedingly valuable. And that is the kingdom of God. 
That's our main point for today. And that's the main point of these parables. The, the kingdom of God is exceedingly valuable. It's not just a little valuable. It's not kind of valuable. It's not even really a big deal valuable. No, it is exceedingly valuable, more valuable than anything. We see that in this passage, verse 44. Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now, if you're going to read commentaries or uh, what Bible scholars say about this, you'll find all kinds of ink printed about uh, this, this passage. Was the man being... Um, was he doing the right thing by covering it up? Was he being moral in doing that? Was that a good thing or a bad thing that he was doing? That Look, you're missing the point. If that's what you're thinking about, Jesus wasn't intending to give you a, a moral lesson on what to do if you find a treasure in a field. What he's saying is the guy finds a treasure and he realizes, wow, this is a lot of treasure. This is worth a lot. This is really valuable. I'm going to sell everything I have in order to get this treasure. That's Jesus' point. And we see that again in verses 45 and 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of, a fine, of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. See, in both of these parables, we see the same point. Someone finds something that is really, really valuable, exceedingly valuable, and is willing to give up everything for it. That is the kingdom of God. Now, it, for those of you who know me, you know that I, I, I like to read, and I like to read commentaries, and I like to read theology books, and I write, like to read all kinds of things like that, and what really frustrates me sometimes is I'm reading about these parables, and everybody goes on and on about all the details of the parable, but they never get to the point of why the kingdom is valuable, and I think, why are you doing that? If the kingdom is so valuable, why not give me at least a crumb to say why the kingdom is so valuable? It's obvious that that's what this is about. Why is the king valuable? And that's what I want, the kingdom valuable, and that's what I want to talk about today. Well, again, we can look at all the details of this parable, and maybe one day in a Bible study, you guys can have at it. But today, if, if the parable is saying the kingdom is so valuable, it's exceedingly valuable. Sell everything you have in order to get that kingdom. Why is the kingdom valuable? And, and that's the point. The value of the kingdom is found in Christ, the king. And the new creation that comes through him. That's going to take a little bit of explanation, so let me say that again. The value of the kingdom is found in the king... Christ, and the new creation that comes through him. Think about it this way. The value of Christ as king. Kings are valuable. Are they not? Kings get to call the shots. Kings get to set the course. Kings get to do all kinds of things. And Jesus is not just any king. According to Philippians 2, 9 through 11... 
Therefore God has highly exalted Him, that is Jesus, and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name. Stop there. There is no other name that is higher than the name of Jesus. No other king's name that is better. The best king, the greatest king that we can think of in the history of the world pales in comparison to Jesus as king. He has a name that is above every name. And so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I love this passage, and I go to it over and over and over again in my own life because it reminds me that one day every single knee is going to bow, whether you believe in Jesus or not. Every knee will. And whether you confess that Jesus is Lord with your mouth now or not, one day, everyone's mouth, everyone's tongue is going to say, Jesus is Lord. Whether they want him to be or not. The real question is, do we receive him as Lord now? Or are we going to wait to be basically forced to do it when he puts every enemy under his feet? I would say that person is a very important person in the universe. A very valuable person, right? It would be in your best interest to get to know that person, right? You know, as Americans, we, we don't like kings. But at the same time, we have this crazy fascination with the British royal family. I, I don't quite understand it. Like, you know, the Revo- you know, our, our Revolutionary War, we're like, yeah, down with the king. Oh, what's Queen Elizabeth doing? What's king, you know? And that's what we do. I, I don't know why we're like that, but we are. In fact, I know that because you know what the number one book on the New York Times bestseller list is right now? Spare where you can read all kinds of information you would not really want to know about Prince Harry. We're fascinated with people like this because we see them as valuable. But I want you to hear, if Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords, He's more valuable than the British royalty. He's more valuable than the President of the United States. He's more valuable than a nation. He's more valuable than the world itself. He's more valuable than any other thing or any other person. And when we get that into our heads and we realize that, that's when we're going to have real change in our lives. Because when we recognize it's not all about me. I was actually going to share this at the end of the sermon, but I'm going to share it now. You know, the thing that bothers me the most about me is that I make everything about me. Drives me insane. I was having a conversation with the staff, and 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 Nathan in particular, and we were talking about, you know if you walk into a room and people are talking... 
and then as soon as you walk in the room, they stop talking? I always assume it's about me. Always. Nathan, on the other hand, is more sanctified than I am. (laughs) And he says, I never think that they're talking about me. And I'm like, I wish I was like you, Nathan. I do. I wish I was like you. I wish that I wouldn't make everything about me. In my head, it's always a fight. Even praying this morning, coming to the worship service, coming to this place right here, right now, today, coming here, I'm praying and I'm saying, Lord Jesus, please do something powerful today. And then I have to admit, and I know that there's a part of me that wants that because I'm involved. about I make it about me not about Jesus but who's most important is it Stuart definitely not is it you hate to say it but definitely not it's Jesus Jesus is the most important one he's the most valuable one and the sooner we realize that the sooner we'll be willing to give up whatever we have to give up in order to fix our eyes on Jesus and run that race towards him And that's what the scriptures really point us to. Jesus is the most important person in history. The most valuable person in history. But you may be saying, well, yeah, I hear what you're saying, Stuart. And of course, you would have to say that because you're a pastor. But why specifically is Jesus so important? I get he's king. Yeah, okay. But what's Jesus ever done for me? I'm glad you asked. Because I would love to share something about what Jesus brings into this world. The exceedingly valuable kingdom is valuable because Jesus is king and he's the most valuable person in the universe, but also because of what he brings. He brings a new creation. That Technically, that is the kingdom. You know, when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, when we pray the Lord's Prayer... What are we praying? Are we praying that there will be a castle somewhere on earth? No. What we're praying for is that God's new creation would spread all over the entire universe and that everything would be made new. And that's what God promises in Revelation 21.5. He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. That's what the kingdom is really about. Making all things new. Taking this sinful, fallen, broken world and fixing it. Turning things right side up. Things that have always been going in the ways of injustice will one day be brought under justice. Praise the Lord for that. People who have been abused and hurt and treated poorly, God will raise up because he cares for the humble, for those who have been hurt because he's a compassionate God, full of steadfast love. And he's doing that through Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection. Jesus has started a new creation He started something new. And we don't have to wait fully. We have to wait fully for it to come in the age to come. But right now, it's already started. 
I don't think anybody really gets this. I don't think I get this. But when I start really thinking about it, I get excited about what Jesus is doing. You see, Jesus has started a new creation and He's making all things new. And that includes, if you believe in Him, you. 2 Corinthians 5.17 If anyone is in Christ, he's what? He's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You're not the old you anymore if you're in Christ. And you may say, well, sometimes I really feel like the old me. Yeah, the old you is still trying to fight its way into your life. But guess what? Ultimately, you are a new creation. That's who you are if you're in Christ. And even if you're not in Christ, you can believe in Jesus and He will make you new. You will be a new person. Does that mean that all your problems will go away? Definitely not. In some ways, your problems will just begin. But God is doing something new to change you from the inside out. And what you will be on the other side of that process is so much better. So much more wonderful. Like for me, I can't wait until I stop making things about me. When I stand before Jesus and I see Him in all of His glory, I'm going to stop thinking about me. And I'm just going to be thinking about Him. And that is going to be awesome. I can't wait for that. And that's part of what the kingdom is about. God is making all things new and He started by raising Jesus from the dead. And now, everyone who believes in Jesus, they're a new creation. They're something new. There's something different about them. And He's going to make all of creation new. And one day, the kingdom that has begun will be the consummated kingdom where there will be no more pain or death or sin. There will be no more sorrow. There will be nothing other than righteousness, joy, peace, love, and all of the good things that we all long for. Now in these parables, we see two men who sell everything they have in order to purchase this valuable treasure. Whether it's the treasure in the field or it's the pearl. Is Jesus saying we've got to sell everything we have in order to gain this kingdom? No. That's not what he's saying. What he is saying is the kingdom is worth it if you did. But he's not saying that, what he is saying. And I love these words of Jesus. I want to repeat these words to myself over and over again when I get a grasp, a glimpse of what the kingdom is like. Luke 12, verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Not to let you purchase the kingdom. Not let you do a lot of good things in order to get the kingdom. Not even, okay, now if you're a good little boy or girl, 
maybe we'll go by the kingdom store and we'll buy you a kingdom. No. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the new creation. It's yours. If you're in Christ, it's yours. And you get to enjoy some of it now, and the fullest expression of it will be later, but even now you get to enjoy something of that new creation. Isn't that good news? That's what Jesus has done for us. A couple of things that um, really just strike me. Um, One is in uh, J.R.R. Tolkien's The Return of the King. It's, it's near the end when um, Sam Gamgee, is, he thought he, he had died, and he thought Gandalf had died. He thought every, everybody had died. <laughs> and uh, he says, that is not the right quote. We'll get to that in a minute. Here's what he says. He says, I thought you were dead, talking to Gandalf. But then I thought... I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? Is everything sad going to come untrue? We got, somehow we got those mixed up. That's not Tim Keller. That's Tolkien. Sorry about that. Tim Keller, in his book, The Reason for God, answers and says, the answer of Christianity to that question, is everything sad going to come untrue? Is yes. Oh man, that is good. Everything sad is going to come untrue and it will somehow be greater for having once been broken and lost. I don't understand how that's going to work. But I look forward to seeing how God's going to put it all together. And then one more. um, This is from C.S. Lewis. I'm doing a little Inklings thing here today. The, uh, The Last Battle... Last book in the Chronicles of Narnia. Here's what C.S. Lewis says about the children who have gone through all of this. He says, The things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is this, and for us, this, the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at the last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. If that is even partially true, Sign me up. I want that book. And I want you to be a part of that story too. How do you become a part of the story? Jesus. Jesus came to earth, lived the perfect life of obedience that all of us have not lived. He died for our sins and rose from the dead to be the king over a kingdom which is a new creation. And for each one of us who believes, he is bringing us into that kingdom and saying, here it is. You get to experience some of it now, and in the age to come it's going to be glorious, but don't lose sight of what is most important, what's most valuable. The king and his kingdom.
And that's worth giving up everything else for. So your action point, and this is really simple and easy, at least in theory, seek first God's valuable kingdom. Right? Seek first God's valuable kingdom. That's what Jesus says in Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So what do you do to seek first the kingdom? That's the real question, isn't it? I can tell you what it's not. Seeking first the kingdom is not putting me first. It's not you putting you first. It's every morning waking up and saying, Jesus is my king. What is it that Jesus wants me to do today? Can can I say something about one of our staff members that just encourages me greatly? Let me me, allow me to do this. Um, Banks wise. He is a great example of this to me. Somebody who readily and, and quickly will tell me, yeah, I just want to do what Jesus tells me to do. I just want to do whatever Jesus calls me to do, whatever it might be. And every week when we have a conversation, that's the stuff that's coming out of his mouth. I just want to be where Jesus wants me to be. I just want to do what Jesus wants me to do. And I hear that and I go, I wish my heart always said the same thing. I wish it did. It doesn't, by the way. But I wish it did. And Banks, I'm a little envious of you that Jesus has that much of your heart. Because I want Jesus to have that much of my heart too. And I want Jesus to have that much of your heart too. Where we're all just saying, I just want to do whatever Jesus wants me to do. Whether that means selling everything I have, or keeping everything I have, or anything in between. I just want to be where Jesus wants me to be. That's what seeking first the kingdom is. Pledging allegiance to our king. So folks, by the power of the Spirit, let's passionately pursue Christ and his kingdom. Let me pray for us that we'll be able to do that. Holy Spirit, I know that we cannot do this on our own strength. It has to be a work of grace. It has to be something that you do in us. So would you work in each one of us. For those of us who have been believers for a while and yet we find ourselves just drifting from the path of the kingdom, bring us back. Show us the great value of this new creation, of our king that we would willingly and readily and humbly bow the knee. For those of us who don't know Jesus today, Holy Spirit, would you draw them that they would respond with real faith, that they would say, I want to be a part of the kingdom. And I pray that they would make that profession public, that we would all be able to rejoice together with them that Jesus has brought another one into his kingdom.
But wherever we are and whatever's going on in our lives, meet us where we are and show us the value of your kingdom. We pray, Jesus, in your name. Amen.